right, welcome everybody to part two of day three of our 2021 uh, live stream extravaganza. Uh, this, for this particular episode or this uh, stream, we are talking about AI for post-production and we're joined by Matt Bach, one of our internal experts as far as the um, sort of content creation side of things goes. We have Nico, or further over, Nico from Corridor Digital, Jeff Greenberg, and again, uh, one of our internal experts, Dr. Don Kinghorn, our sort of scientific computing machine learning AI uh, expert. And I'm going to be behind the scenes after this intro piece, I'll just be handling questions and stuff from the audience so that all of these guys can have the, can kind of dominate the stage a bit and talk their piece. So um, as I like to do, um, we'll get uh, kind of introductions, background from our guests. And uh, yeah, so I guess we'll start with you, Nico, uh, who you are and what you do. And I'll Cool. Well, my name is Nico. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Corridor Digital. Uh, we've been around YouTube for about a decade and uh, off YouTube for a few years before that as well. And we kind of specialize in doing a lot of uh, visual effects based uh, pieces, but trying to, you know, work out a, a pipeline and a workflow that works in the, in the YouTube space where things have to turn around quick and you work with small crews and you know, a big thing, a big part of, I guess, what's shaped us is trying to utilize cutting edge technology to let us achieve our creative visions quickly and easily and without having to have giant budgets, giant crews and really expensive hardware. Uh, so that's kind of been one of our focuses. And yeah, it's been a good time. Uh, Jeff, you want to give a quick sure. two sentence? Uh, yes, sir. I'm Jeff Greenberg. <laughs> I'm an editor, educator, colorist, post specialist, and consultant. I've been doing it for about 20 years. Whatever your favorite tool is, it's my favorite tool too, or whatever tool you hate the most, I hate it too. Uh, and I stay on the burning edge all the time. I've been around the AI stuff for about the last six years. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this is going to be really interesting because, I mean, I feel like I'm going to kind of just steer the ship here. But, like, Don's been in AI stuff for decades. <laughs> so Don has a lot of experience. I think we can get a lot of good input from him. Uh, Nico, I know you guys have been dabbling with, like, deep fake stuff recently, um, you know, plus just, you know, AI that's built into, you know, After Effects and Premiere Pro and all that. And, and Jeff, uh, you just did uh, Post-Production World. Was that just last week? A whole session on AI in Post. Yeah, uh, you know, that's that it doesn't feel like a week ago. It feels like a month ago in, in Zoom time. <laughs> yeah, and next week we've got uh, Adobe Video or Adobe Max. So there's just a lot going on right now. Uh, so to start things off, um, you know, AI is such like a nebulous term, I feel. I, I feel like a lot of people call something AI when maybe it's not quite, or they might not realize that something is AI when it is. Um, a good example is like content aware fill in, in After Effects. Now it's a huge deal. Uh, but I don't know how many people thought or realized that it was AI. Um, and, you know, it's actually artificial intelligence. Um, so I'd like to start off with just talking about, you know, you know, what is AI good for? Like, what are the kinds of problems or things that it's tackling that AI is like the right solution for? And I'm interested in really all three of your guys' thoughts on that. Whoever wants to jump in first. I'll start. You, you, go, go, go ahead, ahead. Jeff. <laughs> I'm interested in what you uh, We're all too polite. Uh, I'd like to think AI's best use is for the stuff that sucks, it's the stuff we don't want to do. Uh, it could be roto work. It could be sync mapping. It could be ca oh, cataloging of footage. These are the things that just 
are mountains for human beings to deal with. And it's the stuff that I hope AI has some of its best realizations around. Yeah, I totally agree. AI, I mean, it's the, the tedious things that AI is seems to be best for. And Don, I'm sure you can talk to that some. You know, like, why is it that these tedious things, you know, rotoscoping or um, upscaling, you know, footage and all those kind of things, like, why is AI good at that? Can you? Oh, well, okay. Um, mainly, anything that can be, uh, that can generate a lot of data. Um, that can be that can be modeled. You know that uh, it's always best if there's like some kind of ad hoc, uh, by hand way of doing it previously, because then that gives you the the context for what really kind of, what sucks, and uh, and then being able to uh, manipulate uh, data and train a model that we'll, we'll do in, like these infills and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, that stuff is really, really hard to do classically. It's really hard to do that with just straight up algorithms. But using a sophisticated model uh, that's been trained on lots and lots of data, yeah, that's what, where the magic starts to happen. And, and actually co computer vision um, this is all part of computer vision and and which has been around for decades and and a lot of I mean a lot of those uh, the Adobe products are full of uh, classic computer vision algorithms uh, and they're really quite brilliant they're very very good um, but uh, yeah bringing a AI machine learning in on top of this is just magic because a lot of that stuff just it doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work. Um, you know, you have to have stuff that that uh, that flows better. And and this is this is one of the big successes of of the the current, the modern machine learning, the modern uh, AI approach over the last few years. Uh, computer vision has exploded because that's been mm -hmm. the most effective application area. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, some of the biggest things that I, I feel people are familiar with with AI is like like deep fakes. And I know, Nico, that's something I'm going to um, let you expand on a little bit because you guys have done some really interesting stuff recently. But that stuff is kind of successful only because we have, you know, how many thousands or millions of pictures of like a specific actor? You know, you want Morgan Freeman. Well, hey, how many movies has he been in? How many frames? How many different expressions and, and everything? Like there's there's a lot there. Um, so deepfakes to me are, are a really interesting one. I mean, there's the um, the moral implications of deepfakes. Um, and then there's the technology side. And, and again, Nico, I was saying that you've done some stuff like with that in particular, because that feels like it's not really there's a app out there that just like does deep fakes like you have to do it yourself what right. was your guys's experience with that because you you guys did um what, what have you guys done you did you did the luke skywalker one and you did uh did a keanu reeves one <laughs> way back in the day we did uh tom cruise we redid the scorpion king shot that the infamous scorpion king shot and i also did some work with the uh the south park team um hmm. for their uh kind of deep fake division that they formed our ai division that they formed um yeah i mean i feel like defects are definitely like a good like primer introduction into like machine learning because it kind of covers a lot of the fundamentals um 
I guess in, a, in an accessible way, an easily definable way. You know, it's like, does it look like the person's face or not? <laughs> you know, it's like your results are easy to gauge. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it highlighted um, it highlighted a pretty important shift or not really shift, but like additional element that's entering the world of visual effects, which is to say, you know, visual effects boil down to basically just two things. You have to generate imagery, whether that's taking a picture of a model filming, you know, natural phenomenon or simulating it and rendering it in a computer or straight up having an artist paint it, whatever it might be, you're going to have to generate your imagery. And that's part one of visual effects. And part two is you have to stick it together. You have to composite it. You have to make your collage. But at its core, that's really all that all the visual effects boils down to just those two things. You know, I have my shot and I want to put an explosion in it. Okay, well, I can film an explosion, I can paint an explosion, I can simulate it on the computer and render it out with an alpha channel sticking on my footage. And of course, I have to stick it to my footage, which is a step in and of itself. Uh, and if you go back to looking at, you know, visual effects before computers, when it was film, you know, that really was the core of it is you're just optically printing one image onto another using masks and things like that. And, uh, of course you need to get something to print onto your, you know, one piece of film to the other. And hence like a lot of the model photography and things like that, that they would do in, in older films. Um, so that applies all the way up to now, you know, even at this point you're using computers or you're filming an element on a green screen, etc. You're generating your imagery and you're sticking on the footage, the inclusion of, AI or machine learning uh, for visual effects adds a kind of a third element that didn't really previously exist. So you can now generate imagery in a way that, you know, in the past you'd, you'd get your imagery either by filming it or rendering it on a computer. Um, there really isn't another way of getting imagery. They're like, if I wanted to duplicate my face, I either have to film myself you know, doing the multiple performances or I have to make a 3d model of my face, et cetera, et cetera, and render it out. That those are the only ways I could generate new elements, you know, for my face. But now machine learning is get, create, giving us a new way to create our pixels to, to create our elements. <clears throat> and so deep fakes are a great example of that because you're creating an illusion. You're, you know, you're basically putting on a digital mask, um, except the way this illusion is being generated is in a way that's been completely different than anything else that's existed up until this point. Um, and so, you know, jumping into the, the deep fake end of things, suddenly you realize like, okay, here's a new way to, to create these images. And it's all happening in this like mysterious black box of this AI model. And you can feed it input and you can get your output out of it. And what's happening in there, you, you know, it's kind of, it's like, I, I liken it to, uh, it's like you're making a stew that like has like a bunch of ingredients in it. It's like, you know, you can't go in there and like take the carrots back out once they've kind of like melted. And, you know, it's like the stew is what it is. The best you can do is take a sip, taste it and be like, man, I might need a little more salt, might need a little bit more celery. And so like a lot of, you know, our deep fake uh, work has been that kind of thing. It's like, oh, we need a couple more pictures from the side, oh, maybe a couple more pictures of them, like, you know, making a smile or something like that. Oh, I need some some more side shots or whatever it might be. But, you know, you're taking a sip from that stew and tasting it and like trying to change the ingredients as they go into it to shape your output. But, you know, whether it's, it's deep fakes or other types of, you know, image generation or image processing, um, it's, it's definitely a, it's a very exciting thing and it's it opens the door to creating new visual experiences a new spectacle that people haven't seen before and that has a lot of power novelty is a ton of power when it comes to getting people's attention and giving them an emotional experience yeah that makes definitely makes sense and 
you know, you're saying like how much input you have to do just to give people like a frame of reference. Do you do you happen to like remember offhand like uh, for the like the loose Skywalker? Do you know how many like images you fed in? Um, yeah, yeah, we had about we had about six thousand, seven thousand frames. Um, at the end of the day and we actually like we had stages uh you know when we start training the luke skywalker model when you know when it's just a blob and the computer basically barely knows how to draw a face at that point in time we're giving it everything we have uh and then as it refines it and it's like okay now it's got the eyes you know you're getting the eye shapes you're getting a nose shape you're getting a mouth shape we would watch where it's going and start paring down the data set accordingly. So once mm. it's getting to the point where it's resolving like wrinkles, well, if there's shots in the data set that are blurry or out of focus or too low res, we remove all of those so that it's only eventually seeing the images that have the fidelity that it's resolving. So, you know, we're, we're stepping with it through the process, but yeah, you know, we throw thousands and thousands of images at it for you know for mark hamill's face and we throw thousands of images at it for the actor's face and even before that we're throwing probably about sixty thousand faces at it just to do a general face training first um yeah because nvidia has their uh their high quality face set that they they dropped uh, a few years ago so we just start on that first, just just so the computer can like be like uh, eyes generally go here and there's two of them and mouth generally goes here. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit like the computer doesn't know that they're eyes. It just knows that the face tends to have two dark objects here and it tends to have a dark object here. And, you know, it's a pattern and it's a visual pattern that it, it's replicating because it's studying and constantly basically, you know, repainting it, so to speak. Um but by training all these, like, you know, by filling in these gaps in its knowledge or its data sets, you know, little by little, we can round out a model to not only look like an actor, but have the fidelity to, you know, represent different expressions, different lighting conditions. Mm-hmm. Even if there's expressions and lighting conditions and angles that didn't exist in the data set for that actor when we were training it on the pictures, by hitting these other stages of training and training it on other faces, we help it fill in those gaps of its knowledge. And yeah, it's, it's kind of that weird, mysterious thing. You're just you know it's not like it gives you a number and be like i need more from the faces from this angle it's just you gotta kind of look at your results and and kind of gut it out yeah. and like yes <laughs> hey, hey nico i um i'm really glad some of the things you just said i i don't know if you if you know a- uh, andrew ang mm-hmm. he's like one of the the godfathers of modern ai right mm-hmm. um one of his big things right now is exactly what you were pointing out about the the cleaning the the data, and um, he's really he's pushing that actually as a kind of a movement uh, away from these just massive models to improving what it is that you're doing, and you know and you you right there you just proved the whole point of the importance of doing that, and. Uh, so that that was really cool. That uh, I was nice to uh, nice to hear you say that. Andrew <laughs> well, would, would love that because <laughs> it's the term. Uh, what is it? Garbage in, garbage out. I mean, right, if, right. If you're giving yep. it really high quality stuff. You're going to get a high quality result. If you're giving it low quality stuff, well, because it learns based on whatever you feed it, mm-hmm. and whether it's good or bad. It doesn't know the difference between good or bad. Yeah, I I seem to recall there is one where they gave it data from it was like either Reddit or Facebook, and they turned an AI into a hate bot really quickly. <laughs> oh, yes. That's right. I remember that. Yes, it was that a chatbot. Microsoft's wasn't it? failed experiments. <laughs> yeah, it was but awful. Just, <laughs> just as an as an interesting aside here, um, one of the tools that I've been using a lot is called Descript. 
and they have an AI offshoot called Lyrebird, L-Y-R-E-B-I-R-D.ai, and they use voices. And they just opened up their, their set to allowing you to train even more than just yourself. And where it could become crazy is that you give it an interview and it goes and recognizes all the text. And yeah, you have to have your talent read an over-the-top statement. I, I give to you know this, these, you know, it's like five sentences of consent. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, five minutes of, of language, it can... N- get pretty close to the sound of that person's voice. Uh, the same engine can remove linking words. It can remove the uhs and the pauses. And so suddenly here as a filmmaker, you're like, I have 10 hours of interview of this one person. I'm gonna feed it all into this engine. I'm going to search for things they said. I'll clear it with them. But I think he could have said this one sentence more concise. Doc, can I have your consent to just type this out? Yes, great, and it's in your doc. And this is enough that they used, uh, for Anthony Bourdain, uh, they used an email of his and a synthesis of his voice to read it. And that's where we get into those very blurry moral edges. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know, Don, you've talked about this before, where there's actually two sides of AI. There's the making something, you know, deep fakes, video and, and audio and everything. But then there's also the detection side and they're, they're constantly fighting fighting each other. Is, is that right, Don? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, the, in the research world, that's a huge deal. It's like, you know, improve, you know, because people get really good at like um, maybe taking a leader of some country and making it look like he's saying something that's not really never happened. Hmm. And so being able to detect those things and flag them as fakes, um, it's this constant battle back and forth between the reinforcement learning on improving the models and then the reinforcement learning on detecting when things are fake. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting, but but you know it's it's um, well it it has potential to be you know pretty scary for sure, mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, but overall I don't think it's being abused. It was abused early on, quite mm-hmm. badly, um, but I don't feel that that's really such the sentiment anymore. Yeah, um, I mean. I think more legitimate stuff is happening um and people are and especially in like uh the uh uh film industry in the in in that world it's being taken as a really really serious and useful tool and i think they're pushing it forward in a really positive direction Hmm. um but yeah my goal is by the next year i won't be on these streams anymore it will be don bot and you won't know it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there, there's so much good that this stuff can do, and there is so much bad. But I mean, at the same time, like, how long have we had where things are edited in a creative way to make someone say something that they're not? And like, you know, that that's been around forever, and that's easier to do than training models and and doing AI and everything. But. So, I mean, that's, okay, so that's we, the beginning of time. That's the beginning of time yeah. of editorial. You know, we, the, the term for it that I use all the time that, that my, you know, I grew up as an editor learning was frankenbiting is I'll take a sentence from your, your interview that is 
five minutes apart and glue it to a different part. And sometimes you don't say the right word the right way. And I'm gluing individual words. And we're at a spot where it's easier for me to create an audio image piece of imagery, much less a video piece of imagery, Don. I, I can't wait for the Don bot, by the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> So, okay, so we, we've talked quite a bit on, on deep fakes and kind of this deep level um, stuff, you know, a little bit. Um, I'd like to kind of steer this towards like things that people either are using today or they can use, um, you know, especially in like posts. I mean, obviously we're going to focus on posts. I, I feel like deep fakes are just, they're a little deep because <laughs> there's not an easy tool to use. You're, you're having to get into programming and all that. Um, so I'm just curious, like, you know, out of the things that you guys use every day, or, you know, you, you have, you know, clients or, you know, other users that, you know, are using it, like, are, are there any tools that you, you use a lot? Like, uh, Jeff, you mentioned that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, what was it? The, the, the transcribing or the speech, text to speech. And then there's about three right now, three really strong engines for it. Uh, there's, Watson, you know, it's Microsoft's, there's Google's, and then there's uh, something called Speechomatics. And these are the three real core items. And those are the ones that sit underneath things like Rev and uh, Otter.ai and Descript at certain elemental levels. And somewhere last year, somebody got the punctuation piece down and suddenly everybody can generate transcripts with punctuation, including YouTube. Hmm. Um, but that's the one that I'm seeing the most immediate use because now suddenly people don't have to do the tedious job of creating subtitles. Mm -hmm. And it's well, boiled and they, down to TikTok. Yeah. Well, and they just added that in uh, Premiere. I think it's still in the beta, the, the auto transcribing for, for subtitles. And I've played around with it a little bit and it's pretty good because Premiere Pro used to have some, you know, captioning thing back in the day and it was awful. <laughs> uh, but this one seems like it works pretty well. And it's about getting those tools in people's hands to do things well, easier. You know, when you talk about um, Adobe's auto captioning, there was t tools to get stuff in there. There's Simon Says and a favorite of mine, Transcriptive, that does even more than Adobe's tools do. But the beautiful part around the Adobe adding it as a tool is you just start up the app. It doesn't cost you hourly, it cost you either. And it's just how much further do you need it to go? But those mm -hmm. auto transcription tools, I love the idea of taking interviews and editing the text and looking through the text before I would ever go and start marking in and out points and constructing a timeline. I just think that's a great essential use. Um, I want to make sure everybody else speaks. I've got about six of these for you, Matt. So whenever <laughs> you want the next one, you let me know. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll just kind of we'll jump around a little bit, uh, just to keep things interesting. Um, like, uh, Nico, I'm sure I'm putting words in your mouth here a little bit, so uh, you know, absolutely correct me. But uh, I imagine one of the big ones with uh, like Adobe in particular with After Effects is like the, the content to wear fill stuff, because that's been a couple of years that they had that in. Um, do you guys use that kind of thing a lot? or We use content to wear fill just a little bit because it's really. Truth be told, it's not quite good enough to really do the job it's supposed to do. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's good for it's like, ah, oh, this thing in the corner against a noisy background. And we like we took out a, a light, you know, it's like and it's against trees and you can't tell that, you know, the jumble of noise, it's the leaves. You can't tell that it was patched in like it works great for that. And, you know, that's a huge time saver. Um, but, you know, like, I couldn't like erase my head and just, you know, sure. be here without a head like that would require us doing a consistent background and doing a mask and things like that. And you get issues like with edges on things. It's like, you know, if I want to like, 
erase my hand here and I do a mask around my hand. It doesn't quite know what to do with the edge, <laughs> you know, of, right. of the, the media there. Um, but, you know, was, we've been doing more work with uh, Topaz Labs with their upscaler um, and their frame interpolation. And uh, DaVinci Resolve actually has an AI-based uh, frame interpolation thing. For those those out there who don't know what frame interpolation is, basically, if you if you record a shot, say it was you record a shot at 24 frames per second, and you want to play it back in slow motion, well, initially you would have wanted to have recorded that shot at a higher temporal resolution, like, say, 100 fr- 120 frames per second, for example, rather than 24 frames per second. So frame interpolation will look at one frame and the next frame, kind of figure out how elements have moved between those two frames, and then try to find create a middle frame by kind of like figuring out, like, okay, if there's an object here and the next frame is here, well, in the middle frame, it should be between those two positions. So it requires a lot of like optical flow, like tra- kind of tracking where elements move. But as well as some other intelligence things like, you know, how do you deal with motion blur against the background? How does a transparent object slide? What pixels should be moving with that versus static in the background? Like there's a whole bunch of issues that are happening there. So it's like revealing things as well when you move across the screen. But what it has shown is that there's, you know, AI is quickly catching up to make uh, upscaling and frame interpolation to a certain extent a trivial process. And it's showing that the the process of trying to get higher and higher resolution cameras and higher and higher resolution frame rates, uh, you quickly hit a point of diminishing returns where it's like, hey, don't don't go and spend ten thousand more dollars in your camera to get an eight K sensor instead of a six K sensor. Just if you need that resolution, just AI upscale it because if you're already shooting in six K and you're gonna bump it up to eight K. No one's going to tell the difference. <laughs> if you natively shot that in 8K instead of 6K, and then you shot in 6K and you up to 8K, you put them side by side, the details that are there are not details that are important to the human brain. Like, it's crisp, and it looks crisp, and it looks nice on a you know high-res screen, but your eyes aren't being like, well, that pebble is actually an AI pebble <laughs> versus, like, a pebble that was actually there that's a pixel big. Like, you know, none of that stuff matters. Um, you know, to your brain at least. And the same thing for uh, frame interpolation. If you want to shoot slow motion, as long as your camera can get to basically 100 frames per second, you can go as slow as you want from there with frame interpolation. Because once your objects are moving so slow that the difference between frames is not that great, when you add frame interpolation on top of that using AI, it's, it's flawless. It looks great. You know, you don't need to record something at a thousand frames per second unless you're doing scientific studies of things that actually move so fast that you need to film at that speed to capture them. But if I just want to do somebody, you know, film somebody doing a backflip in front of an explosion, if I film that at 100 frames per second, I could take that and I could knock it down to 10, you know, I could make that a 10,000 frames per second shot with AI. You probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so there's definitely some things like that where like AI is just going to do the job and it's just done and that's just the only way to do it. I'm sorry, I, I interrupted someone else. Oh no, that, I, that's okay, Matt. It's the complexity of of the all the stuff that's going on there, you know, because there were there is existing classical algorithms for doing a lot of that stuff, but this, but because of all the things, uh, yeah, Nico, you're hitting a lot of these points <laughs> like right on the money. The it's the it's that complexity of not just the very focused thing that you're doing, but the, everything that's going on around it. That's where the the machine learning and AI stuff really. Uh, the magic really comes in because those little subtleties get handled in a way that algorithms just can't deal with. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool. So Matt, you, you know, you were mentioning specific tools, the removing of something from a still is at this point, trivial, relatively trivial. Uh, there's remove.bg that you can take any image and just say, 
I want this object off the background. And the problem, you know, Matt was Nico was highlighting uh, about edges is really the pain point as soon as something moves. But you had this problem with Roto anyway. It's called edge chatter, and it requires, you know, you to step through frames repetitively to make sure your eyes aren't drawn to noisy, problemsome edges and details. Um, there is a pretty serious plugin called Cognat, K-O-G-N-A-T, uh, that works in Fusion, that works in Nuke, that does this. And once you can remove an object from its background, you can then use its background to in-paint what's missing, which is where those two are really going. And where I think you'll see the first implementations aren't going to be the green screen use, although I have to tell you, Runway ML is right now got, <laughs> you know, for the for the guy who's got it off, or the gal who's shooting it off her phone and just wants to, like, put that on a green screen to make it a meme, uh, Runway ML will do standard definition returns for free. You have to pay them for high definition either and higher. But where it's really cool is that you can start generating mats. And if you can start mm. generating mats, suddenly you can do really sophisticated color and work that's subtle. But if you had to do it by hand, again, is in the suck department. Um, Runway ML is a great one that I've been using for a while now. And I'll feed it a shot and let it do a pretty good. It doesn't have to have perfect edges because I'm going to blur the edges away of a map. And then I can bring it into Resolve or into After Effects or to Premiere or any editorial tool. And suddenly, I've got really nice soft matte uh, shapes mm. for color work. Yeah, I love that's, Runway that's, ML. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask uh, you, Nico, if you've used that. Because, I mean, like in After Effects, there's like the Rotobrush um, stuff that, that you can use. Uh, like all of those ones, whether it's Rotobrush or Runway NML, uh, Nico, and your guys is like, because you guys, I'm sure, have to rotoscope a ton of crap out. <laughs> and yeah. like, does how close does it get you to a final product? Uh, like, it, it, is it the kind of thing where you, it does it all and you're just done? Or do you have to go in and fidget with it? Or does it get you 90%, 50%? Um, unfortunately we're not quite in the future yet where it just does it all but it's it gets you to i would say 85 to even 90 percent depends on how much time you want to put into it it looks like jeff's actually pulling it up here is a little bit of a demonstration but the great thing is like you know we we actually use it for some shots just recently uh ren made this video about how many solar panels it would take to power the entire world and he had a shot where he's out in the desert and you know he's doing his spiel and behind him we needed to put in a bunch of solar panels uh because we wanted to like represent just a giant field of them but we didn't shoot on a green screen so we went out on location to a place where we could film this and so we used runway ml to cut out his body for the entire shot and that took maybe five minutes total to do the only thing is there's some shots where like his fingers weren't captured or like you know like the little gap that like it gets created like right beneath your armpit you know sometimes that wouldn't be a hole sometimes that would just you know it would be part of the mat and that kind of stuff that's what rotobrush is great so you have this like double whammy of like runway ml boom knocks out the big mats you get the whole person's silhouette you don't have to worry about tracing all those edges and you come in with rotobrush and after effects which is also ai based and you use that to knock out like the fingers or, like a little cleanup on like a hole underneath the arm or something like that or like the edge of the shoe that got missed and like with the two of those you can rotoscope a shot in 20 minutes that would previously take you an entire day wow. i mean and that's just somewhat 
like rotoscope I've, I've only done very basic you know i'm making like you know i'm editing like you know animated gif memes and stuff so i've only done the very basic but it sucks like my hand hurts after doing it like uh, with a mouse so like yeah going from a full day of that to 20 minutes that just sounds amazing yeah and, and then you throw off some extra tools like mat cleanup and stuff like that and then makes it even better but yeah it's it's a wonderful piece where where it struggles is fine details, its edges, and that's always going to be the case. And that's kind of the place where, you know, I stay realistic about AI in general, is that it falls down typically in the last mile, which makes me very hesitant to get into a car that's got an autopilot feature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Same. Same here. Uh, okay, We had a couple of questions. I want to make sure we knock some of these out. Um, Houston, uh, I can try to read them or if you want to pop in, uh, up to you. I, I saw there was one about uh, could AI be useful to simulate chaotic conditions like yeah. leaves, forests, wood textures, mm -hmm. um, those kind of things. If you if you just call out their names, I'll pop them up on the screen so I can okay. stay behind, behind the scene. Gotcha. I can do that. Uh, so, Don, that might be a, a good one for you. So, like, yeah, those chaotic things. Is that... Well, like an AI-based tree, is that something we could start using? Uh, I I think so. I mean, you know, because um, but you're you you guys are hitting on all of the real. It, this is interesting to me because you're hitting on all of the real fundamental issues, like the the edges and stuff like that. Um, but but yeah, being able to uh, simulate uh, environmental uh, scenes. That's getting to be really, 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 really good. Um, NVIDIA is, is really working a lot on that stuff. Uh, the stuff they're doing with uh, Isaac Sim and um, uh, OmniView and, and um, all, all that stuff is, is really, really, really good. There's a lot of room for improvement. And this deal that you guys are dealing with, with the, the edge detection and all that, that's just the state of things right now probably state of the art in research is probably much better hmm. but getting all that stuff cleaned up and getting that going from that research phase into a tool that's implemented in a product that you can use in a simple way that's a huge undertaking that, yeah, that's a absolutely. that's a lot of work yeah. but yeah Jeff, um, you had something to add? It's going to, yeah, I, I was just going to say that a lot of the chaotic conditions, whether it's water or leaves, we've got really good particle systems already. I don't think that's one that's a huge issue. In fact, almost all the particle systems have have some sort of naming, whether it's random. They've got a chaos switch that pulls a random seed and gives us that sort of look. We got water worked out about a 20 years ago, going back to Titanic, although it's much higher res today, it's the case where I can right now do falling leaves with a particle system behind me. And it's it's a five minute job. If And, it, and that's mm. only because I, I have to remember how an individual, you know, whether it's uh, After Effects' tool or Resolve's tool that does it. Um, what's amazing, Don, that you mentioned is I've seen some NVIDIA stuff, Matt, where you like draw a leaf, just just a, the worst pencil sketch of a leaf. And it goes, oh, did you mean this? And it gives you a photorealistic leaf. Now that's a whole nother level of this sort of imaging because suddenly somebody who can't really draw, draw a storyboard to save his life 
and has lived most of his life off of stick figures, settling his gorgeous looking storyboards. Man, where is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that kind of stuff ties into another question uh, that someone was asking. Uh, Leon uh, Parma on Twitch, uh, they mentioned about Adobe Stock and how you can search for an image and it gives you similar images. Um, and uh, that, that's similar to that, where like it's recognizing what is this and then finding more things. I know Adobe Stock has that. There's a bunch of other ones that do the same thing. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why like Google is so good. You know, you search for, you know, man with a hat eating cake, you know, and, and it can really just like figure it out. Um, I'm not sure how much you guys deal with like stock or, you know, those kind of things, but uh, anything you guys can comment on, like how that works for just finding things. Yeah, I mean, we use it, you know, we use stock footage all the time. And, you know, it's funny, like the algorithms that come that, that the algorithms that exist to help you find things to search for things, in a way, I'm disappointed that so much of that is locked behind, you know, they try to they try to shroud it in mystery, right? Like when you go on YouTube, it's like, oh, here's the videos based on what you watch. It's like, that's cool. But what if you just set me up a page where I could just give you videos and then you could give me a playlist based on those videos? Like, you know, give me give me a playlist based on this video I liked and this video and this one weird wacky video that has nothing to do with them. You know, find me something that fits that. Like, it'd be, it'd be great if they just opened up that lid and gave you the toy to play with rather than kind of trying to keep it shrouded. And I think that's something we might, you know, see shift down the line. That You know, they, they just don't want people to reverse engineer the algorithm so that they can then game it. Uh, um, but, you know... Like what I see, what I see a lot of machine learning being used for outside of like, you know, the visual effects image generation kind of things. And this is a layman's approach. And, uh, you know, Don, you can, you can clarify, uh, you know, my, my layman's approach here, but I feel like anything that has some sort of like definable pattern that you as a human being latch onto, like, let's say we're editing footage. Well, generally speaking, everything up until you say action, generally that doesn't get used. <laughs> and then, you know, you're sitting there as an editor and you're like, all right, scrub, scrub, scrub. Okay, there's the action. Cut. You know, there's my endpoint. And you're going through it through and you're doing that for every shot. You know, you're following a pattern as a human being. You're listening for this keyword and then, okay, you have your content. Um, and that kind of stuff, I feel like, is the stuff that machine learning does really well. If, if there's something that you as a human being, if there's a pattern that you're catching on to, I've noticed that machine learning algorithms tend to effectively work on those kind of problems as well. Yeah, that has to do with, the, I mean, just kind of the nature of how models are trained in general, because that's the perspective that you're approaching it from as a researcher. Um, but uh, you, you, you kind of... Uh, brought me to a point where I, I want to ask um, uh, Jeff a question about um, on the audio side. Um, um, what's going and, and and this is your, your this editing flow, this editing uh, uh, workflow. Um, yeah, that could, that's a huge pain. And it's equally painful in the audio side of things. You know, I'm into that a little bit, and I'm I'm curious. I don't know if there's anything that's good in any aspect of that. And and Jeff, I think you probably probably yeah. have kind of a handle. So on I got a bunch. Thing. I have a bunch of things on this, uh, Nico. Just for the laugh, I know an editor. He's cut a Will Smith film. He's cut a Tina Fey film, and his favorite thing is when he's out of ideas. He looks at the spot before action. And after cut, because he goes, that's a whole bunch of gems, John Kovacs, a whole <laughs> bunch of gems I've never seen before. And it gives him the perfect reaction when he's tired of a scene and he's baked of it. Uh, 
Um, on, you know, there, and I think Nico alluded to this a little bit as well on patterns. One of the wildest things is while editing has patterns, shot choice and emphasis and breaking those patterns is part of the editing mantra. You know, it's maybe that joke rule of threes. You, you set people up, you show them there's a repetition and then you break it. I'd, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that AI makes struggles with that last mile for the longest time, because that's really where a lot of the magic of editing is. And there are some tools, Don, uh, that that aren't really, they're, they're probably machine machine learning based, less AI. There's one called Beat Edit that'll just analyze where your beats are and add a little bit of chaos and cut stuff for Premiere into a timeline based on the beat and every now and then not be on the beat on purpose. You still have to feed it the good shots. You still have to feed it the items, but it's a pretty amazing way to look at it. The other uh, two th things that people practically today go out and look at, one is called uh, Dynascore. And Dynascore works inside of Premiere, but it also works uh, to a degree outside of uh, Premiere with their own tool. You can drop markers in a timeline. Go pick a piece of music and say, now it's their music, it's their stuff that they've got, you know, MIDI generated, but it will, on your beats, on your markers, adjust the way the music's emphasis is. And that suddenly reverses a corporate paradigm. Hey, I've got this piece I'm cutting. I've got this piece of music that me or the client has picked and I'm cutting against that piece of music. And suddenly I can start having the music change the way you know, having a John Williams, I don't, I don't, you know, there's a rule, by the way, you're never supposed to cut with John Williams uh, uh, soundtracks because you can't afford John Williams. And then I, I once interviewed uh, uh, the woman who edited some of the Star Wars films and realized I couldn't make that joke with her because she legitimately had John Williams <laughs> cutting a score. For um, the other one that you should take a look at out there is Mubert, M-U-B-E-R-T. And they're also this group that has artists come in, give them good MIDI samples, and then they, through some language, can generate music at a length you want for your piece. They don't have markers, but they kind of know that markers are where we all want to go. Because what we want to do is say, this is the important part. This is the moment. This is the point where our hero, she has said the, the most important line, you know, jumped, done the, her double backflip, and the music changes to victory. And as an editor, I don't want to have to graph two pieces of music together. I want a composer. So these tools are just absolutely breathtaking. And this is just that first week of the child's life. Mm -hmm. In a year, talk yeah. to us in five years, and I think it's going to be downright scary. Yeah, you know, you 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 uh, brought up some really good points that, and and the, you know, a lot of this stuff there is classical algorithms for for a lot of the stuff that, you know, so that machine learning and the, you know, the AI stuff is not really like overtaking all of that yet, but I, I think it's starting to. And, and like you mentioned with the, uh, the particle physics, you know, uh, physics simulation is pretty, pretty amazing in itself. Um, there, there is a fair amount going on in the machine learning world to actually do a lot of the stuff that is done from the physics, from those uh, traditional computational algorithms, and actually being uh, doing that stuff more with AI. It's actually quite a big thing in the scientific world 
people are trying to do um, you know, molecular dynamic simulations and stuff like that, rather than solving for forces and actually solving the physics, um, they're doing this tr training black boxes against a lot of the existing algorithms. Hmm. And so they're they're able to speed things up like enormously, you know, thousandfold, um, and 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 with good success. I mean, protein folding is uh, is a, a recent success, um, where you know, doing the uh, the folding at home, massive, massive, massive parallel. Uh, a physics simulation, uh, computing all those forces, that's because stuff now is being done by AI models, is being done by machine learning models that have been trained on all this massive amounts of data and the real physics. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's becoming brilliant. So a lot of that stuff is, is really going on and advances are being made like crazy. Um, again, as, as that moves into the tool chain, you know, to get it into like your guys' hands, you know, there's there's going to be some time time lag there. But yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and man, I would love to see. I would just love to see some more of these these. I know, I know you guys don't you don't really want to see these really these workflow tools because this is your art. You know, this is this the John. I've been I've been known to open up a command line. You know, often with regrets, <laughs> but I've been known to open up a terminal just for a command line. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Nico has too. Oh yeah, with all, especially with all that deepfake stuff. Uh, so yeah. I want to make sure we hit a couple of more of the questions that are in here. Uh, first one is from uh, YouTube on uh, Giorgio's. It's uh, <laughs> so kind of a broad, but I think it's for a good conversation. Uh, will AI do everything? Just press one button and make a Hollywood film. <laughs> that would be a nice feature. Um, aren't we ever going to get to that point? Do you guys think? I mean, you'll get a generic one. You'll get like the <laughs> the bland, like averaged out Hollywood film. You know, no surprises. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe even That's more scary like... for the stock market. That's way way more scary for the stock market than it is for Hollywood films. <laughs> yeah. um, just just under the idea that uh, if they knew what worked, whoever has that, and even Marvel doesn't have that. If they knew how to, they already are printing money. If they knew how to print money, they would be printing money. And while the industry does print money. The industry has a lot of failures. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's I, a it's a good question though. You know, uh, because it and 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 Jeff, you've mentioned this before. It's like baby steps. This is a little teeny baby at this point. But and and Nico, I think you brought this up earlier too about um, you you can do like give a descriptive paragraph for a scene. And NVIDIA now has tools that will actually create that scene out of nothing for you. Mm -hmm. um, that is kind of, you know, imagine taking a storyboard, um, a, a screenplay or something like that, a screenplay and a storyboard, and then having an AI that can actually, you know, generate a film, you know, generate something from that um, to get that to be, you know, acceptable state of the art that I think we're still a long ways away from there. But the, the, the teaser of some of the things that we've seen is like, it's within the realm of maybe possibility, massive compute well, to do it though. 
massive. Well, one of the things that could get you though mm -hmm. is you know sometimes you just hit a block, you just hit a creative block, and you just need something yep. to kind of break you out of that. AI could be a tool where you can just say like, "Show me this scene," and it'll just show you a scene that kind of you know it might spur something. Uh, we were on a stream. I forget if it was this morning or a couple of days ago with uh, Kyle from School of Motion. And he says in After Effects, he has a button that all it does is he pushes the button and it applies like a, a couple of random effects to his current layer. Just random, just completely random. And just to like, you know, when he hits a block, just give me some random stuff. And, and it, Adobe, it just helps him get. Uh, Adobe used to have a feature called Brainstorm that did exactly that. You know, where you said, this is where I'm at, show me some variances. And you would say, this is closer. And then you could generate more and more. And I feel like they pulled it out about four or five years ago, um, just because they saw the usage of it not being high enough. Well, it was before AI and machine learning. I have a feeling that tools like that come back. You know, Max is kind of coming up uh, two weeks from now. Is it next week? That's next week. And it's next week. I'm, I've already recorded. Mine's already in the can. I've already got uh, uh, my session for Max. But what's always amazing at Adobe Max is the sneaks where you see, Don, you know, a bunch of Adobe Vision and non-Vision researchers showing off, you know, these temperamental pieces of software that might be part of our future. Mm -hmm. Jeff, if, if you... If you uh, scope out anything that looks really, really interesting, shoot me a note, man. Happy to. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm out of this domain, but it's very, very interesting to me, and I'm very curious to see how how the tools and stuff are evolving. <laughs> Be great. Well, much like the roto brush, it took them, Nico. What is it? It took them too five long. years to come back. <laughs> too long. Too <laughs> long. Too long. When I first saw it, and I saw it early, I said, this is eye-bleedingly cool, you know? You have no idea how much Roto sucks. And then the first implementation is always the rockiest. Any time that we get a new piece of hardware, a breathtakingly new piece of software, that 1.0 growing phase is difficult. Uh, and then if we're lucky enough and they come back and they refine the tool, that second revision is always significantly better than the first version was. Uh, the Roto Brush 2 is a great example of it. And Nico, I don't know how much you use it. It's just it's wonderful. It's yeah, it's 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 something where if if uh runway, you know, I use it the way you do. It's a great starting point runway, and then I'm just coming back to do some refining passes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we had a, a couple of two people actually comment almost at the same time with similar thing that I want to uh, bring up. Uh, one was uh, Otis Dillon on YouTube. Yes. Uh, could AI simulate complete dialogue scenes? And then the second part of that was from Brandon Hayes is, could you simulate using AI voice in post-production? And, and we kind of touched on this a little bit before, uh, you know, talking about, uh, oh, man, I'm pulling a blank again, uh, Jeff, on, on that. D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T uh, -E dot com. And just so you know, it's scary. They give you uh, the, the what, what they give you inside the app is called overdub. And you can take your own voice. And I took my own voice. And it's good enough that I can use it as drop ins on recordings I do. Uh, <laughs> but right now, they, like one of the voices they give you is named Don. And it's <laughs> in a world for your trailer. And it's close. I, when I first saw the technology, said, oh, I'm going to go out to, you know, Upwork or something and find a guy who's a voice replica of Morgan Freeman. 
and pay him to record it. And then it dawned on me, anything that anybody watches, and it sounds like Morgan Freeman, will pull them out of the reality of what it is. They'll instantly go, Jeff couldn't afford Morgan Freeman, so therefore it's a fake. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that all goes to show that, like, I think we are close uh, on that. Right now, you can use it for, like, substituting words or, you know, cleaning up stuff. But, yeah, complete dialogue in a scene, it might not be that long, you know, that, that far. I mean, Nico, well, I know you guys done, are doing a whole bunch of stuff with, like, virtual production. And, we've you know, done two if you full, can... we've done, Yeah, we've done two full videos that have scripts that were written 100% by AI. Uh, using the GPT three from o- OpenAI, um, they're hilarious. <laughs> they're really, I mean, they're really janky, but then they're really funny. Uh, but they are full. It's full dialogue scenes. It's just you know, it doesn't have the artist's direction of like, oh, I want to have subtext. It's going to imply this. It takes us like it's it's lacking any of that you know sophistication. But it definitely gets the characters. It's mimicry, you know. At the end of the day, it's mimicry. It's looking at a bunch of other scripts and kind of like, eh, this is what the other scripts do. I'll mimic it. You know, it doesn't really know why they're doing it, but it can do a good approximation of it. Um, mm. And then, of course, you can have you can have another AI voice and then read it. So yeah, you can do it. You can have AI write fully full dialogue scenes and then have it record it. It's gonna be, it's gonna feel like somebody's copying somebody else's homework, though. <laughs> yeah. Or like copying where they, they thought they'd be sneaky by like translating it to Spanish and then back yeah. to English and then posting it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you kind of lose some. Yep. Uh, so another uh, comment on YouTube uh, from Leon Pharma. This is a little bit of a comment rather than a question, but AI is good for helping you get faster that last uh, to that last mile if you can't get all the way to the end. And I feel like, uh, Nico, that's kind of what you've commented on a, a few times. Yeah, you and Jeff can identify with this. At the end of the day, you're just trying to work at the speed of your thought, right? You you have a creative idea, and then ideally, if you just snap your fingers and have it exist on the screen, that would be the ideal. And so, you know, all these tools, whether it's digital cameras, which remove the need to like process film, or it's you know AI making a rough edit before you go and you do a fine edit, or whatever it might be. At the end of the day, each one of these tools is just trying to get it to where you think it, and it happens. Um, and it's it's already. It's already doing a great job of accelerating that process because if I have to travel 100 miles and AI can take care of 99 of them and I just have to walk the last mile, that's fine. I'll do that happily. (laughs) I think we've got about five minutes and I I think that should be a a good amount of time for like wrapping up some of this because I know we're all, you know, somewhat deep in AI. So I know we all have like, you know, strong, maybe not strong things, but we all have thoughts of where it is now and where it's going to go. So for these last five minutes, I'd love to just go around and just kind of get your thoughts on kind of what you think uh, we're going to kind of see with AI in the future. I mean, there's so much work being going on. Uh, Like Don was saying, like, this is like baby steps is where we're at right now. Like AI is like a one-year-old, like it's just starting to maybe stand up. Um, so again, I like to just go around, just like where do you think AI is heading? What's it going to be able to do? And actually, Jeff, I'd like to start with you because I think you have a lot of input there. Oh God, really? Um, <laughs> I I think I think the two, I, I think the biggest pain for me in the post side um, isn't the effects stuff. It's the amount of work that comes in, the amount of footage that has to get weeded through. And AI hits a sweet spot of me going, this face, this face, this face, this location, this location. I took a still when I was at one of those locations, assign all of this, that location. And a year from now, could you pull out the salient stuff that I want as fast as I can, not 
through my soft tissue of my brain. That's, the, I think, the next 12 months pieces. And there's a group Axel.ai that's getting some of this at an affordable level. I think the five-year, 10-year is way scarier because hmm. what if you can pay Bogart to have Bogart, you know, tell you you should, or, you know, anything else for that matter. Um, those are right on the edge of deep fakes. It's just whether or not somebody is willing to license you that IP. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, AI is kind of scary. And yeah, as it improves, it's going to be, it's definitely one of those things that we're going to have to keep an eye on and everything. Um, so Don, um, you know, you're a lot more, I, I feel, on like the, the research side and all of that. So, you, so kind of what you're dealing with right now is probably what you know, a lot of us would think is, you know, kind of in the future. So even further, uh, any any work you see like that's like coming up, do you think it's going to make a huge impact on everything? Uh, you know, I'll tell you something that um, I think could possibly have a negative impact. Hmm. And this is a little bit ironic, but I've, I've been just uh, butting heads with it just recently. Um, you know, um, a, a lot of stuff, uh, uh, AI work is become becoming uh, commoditized. Um, there's this, uh, you know, auto ML and, and stuff like this there, these tools were, are very much needed, but their and their goal is to put, um, and there's, and you can get state of the art trained models that were just trained with, you know, the effectively millions, hundreds of millions of hours of GPU compute time and stuff like that to train models. You can just download those. You can download those pre-trained models, and uh, they're working on tools to, uh, especially for working like with business logic and stuff like that, to make this easy to use. It, I, you know, I haven't looked too much at what the state of that is, but in a, in a way that scares me a little bit because if it becomes too easy, then it might not move forward. If if that if that kind of makes sense. Um, because some of uh, some research funding is getting more and more cut and more and more focused on deliverable products with what we have now. So, but the the people that are doing uh, cutting edge research, uh, they're running into some uh, barriers. They're hitting a wall on some of the existing methodologies. So, uh, we do need another kind of breakthrough step, I think, in just some of the general approach, because just throwing, you know, billions of images, massive amounts of data at per models that are parameterized with billions of parameters, that's getting really awkward to work with. And that's where things have been moving. So things like what, uh, you know, Andrew Ng is working on, on trying to get people to focus more on good data and stuff like that, and improving models and, and doing things that way. So the future is going to be interesting. I, I think there we might have a bit of a slowdown as things kind of catch up for the state of the art into existing tools and, and commercial applications. Um, and research may slow down a little bit. Um, but yeah, but it's it's going to keep rolling. It's going to keep rolling. And somebody will make a great breakthrough and it'll just like be boom. You know, it'll happen again. There'll be something that will just turn everybody's heads that was make it unbelievable. And then everybody will jump back on the bandwagon again. 
<laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like right now we've we're at that point where AI stuff is going, it's going wide, it's becoming accessible to mm -hmm. everybody. And then it'll have to like focus in and, you know, make some breakthroughs. Uh, Nico, from your guys' side, um, I, again, I know you guys have done a lot of stuff with deep fakes and all that. Is, is there any um, new stuff uh, that, that's coming or, or things that you're hoping that are just going to get polished in the next uh, you know few years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like the small things. Like I'd love for a green screen AI program to come out that's intelligent enough to be like, yeah, you don't have to make five different masks around five different edges. Just, yeah. I'm an AI. I know what you want to do. Just click on the green. <laughs> you don't have to click on the green. I just know. Like, <laughs> I'm waiting for that. I feel like that needs to be, I feel like it's going to come soon. But, you know, more like big picture stuff, you know, at least in our side of things, it's, it's AI in the arts and it's AI in content delivery. Uh, you know, those are the two big things that, that influence us at least. And, and what I see there is that what, at the end of the day, you know, machine learning and AI, it's a tool. It's not, it's not going to replace humans. It's going to replace the part, the things that humans do that are robotic. Um, you know, the functional basic pattern kind of things, but human creativity, human ingenuity, you know, the human soul, like all those kind of things, it doesn't replace that. It just makes, it just gets rid of the tediousness that you have to do to then deliver that as a product to somebody. But I think the thing that scares people a little bit, and it can be scary, but I don't think people should be too scared. I think they just need to get ready for it, is at the end of the day, AI is going to just highlight what it is that makes us human. It's going to highlight what we want. It's going to get right to that answer right away. So in the past, you might have you know a philosopher like, you know, what's the meaning of life? And they spend their entire life defining that. This is, you know, obviously I'm this is a paraphrasing here, but now it's been like, what's the meaning of life? And the AI is like, this is, you're like, oh, well, I guess I don't get to explore that journey for my entire life. There's the answer right there. And I think that's going to be the part that's weird and the part that's a little bit scary just to have like the essence of what you desire in your art just like delivered to you instantly. Um, but at the same time, it just means that we're getting closer to kind of like learning about ourselves a little bit more. And it just gives us new realms to explore. So don't freak out about AI too much. That's my, that's my advice to everybody out there. You know, it's a new tool. Things are always going to advance. Progress marches forwards forever. Embrace it, you know, and make it work for you. Yeah. yeah. Just like, you know, going from still photography to moving pictures from black and white to color, you know, analog to digital. It's all just new things. It's just going to unlock, um, you know, everything we need to do. Uh, so that does actually bring us to our hour. Um, Houston, I am terrible at outros if you want to come in. And <laughs> I'll say one let thing. Let you deal Nico, with that. Oh, sorry, Nico, the answer is 42. Yeah. Yes, there it is. Yeah, we already knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that behind the scenes, actually, too. <laughs> I could uh, But yeah, so like Matt said, that does bring us a little bit over our hour. And since I have a lot of practice with this, I will say, uh, you know, goodbye. And thank you to our guests for taking time out of the day to join us and talk about uh, our AI for post-production. And huge thanks to whoever's behind the scenes at Corridor who um, shouted out the, the stream on Twitter and Instagram. We had a, a, a huge turnout and it's it was great. Wonderful. Um, so thank you so much for that. Thank you for joining us today. And um, also thank you to the audience as well and everybody for stopping by. Uh, we have more content coming up for the, the rest of this week, tomorrow and Friday. Um, it's, it's It'll be good stuff. So all of the new people here do... Um, I posted a link in the chat, but if you go to our website or our landing page or, or any of our social media, I'll be shouting that out quite a lot. Um, and so, yeah, thank you guys very much. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Wonderful. All right. Thanks. Good seeing everybody. Bye. So long. It was really fun, guys. Thanks.